Hey, welcome to Assorted Goods. I'm Dan Felton. Thank you for joining me for another curious look at what's going on in the world around us. Hope you're doing well out there, staying safe, staying relatively sane while scrolling through the never-ending information overload of our modern world. And specifically for me today, if you're anywhere near where I am, I hope you're staying warm since it's insanely cold. But anyways, as you do all that, look up into the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a government drone being used to spy on us all? Could it be true that birds, our feathery friends, are in fact not real? And we're all under constant surveillance by poop-dropping spies? Uh Uh-oh, what happened to Dan over the last week? This episode, we're taking a look at disinformation and conspiracies, a topic that this podcast comes back to again and again because, you know, these crazy times and all that. But we're going to look at the birds aren't real movement, its origins, its impact, and its attempt to change the conversation about disinformation and the spread of conspiracy-based thinking. And also, how disinformation is continuing to evolve through the pandemic and beyond. Don't worry, Sorted Goods hasn't taken a sharp turn down some scary rabbit hole of the internet. There's plenty of content out there that does it better than I ever could. But buckle up, strap on your tinfoil hats, and keep your eyes on those suspicious birds. What are they really up to? And let's get going here on Assorted Goods. Assorted Goods is produced by Disinformed Media in association with Verboten Productions. Promotional support comes from the Always Up Network at DeanBlundell.com. You ever look around sometimes now and just think to yourself, what the hell is going on around here? You know what I'm saying? Every day we wake up, we grab our phones, we hook into the interwebs, and we're exposed to a barrage of content. Memes, hot takes, influencers, thought leaders, embedded advertising, please to like and subscribe. There's just so much information being thrown at everyone all the time that it's hard to keep it all straight. More specifically, it's hard to be sure what's true and valid and what isn't. Really, there's a strong argument to be made that we live in a post-truth world. I'm certainly not the first person to say that, but you know, if you say something with enough confidence, then it sounds like I could be. I mean, there are objectively true things and facts, but eh, are there, you know, sure, you've got your science and your data, but, you know, those are really just your sciences and your datas. What are you really trying to do here? I, of course, recognize the irony, this being a podcast where I, and really it is just me, pick a topic and do research and dive into it and write up a whole episode and then pass it along to you. Even this show passes through the information filter that is me. And then you have to trust that I'm being genuine. And boy, am I doing a good job of fooling all of you. But because of this current landscape we have, there's a place for everybody, a place for every idea, every viewpoint, every belief. No matter what you think, there's a home for you. Gone are the days of being isolated with your far-out ideas. Now you can find a happy home for them with other like-minded people who will heart your theories and tell you that anyone who disagrees with you is just biased or asleep to the truth. So, is it any surprise that we live in a world now where conspiracy theories and misinformation are completely out of control? Not really, right? Human beings are, after all, well, human. A 2018 study conducted by the University of Cambridge found that across nine countries, over half of the 11,000 respondents they had believed at least one conspiracy theory. 
And, you know, one conspiracy theory, that's okay. You know, you dabble in it a little bit, but you don't take it too seriously. It's like, you know, I have a glass of wine every now and then, but, you know, I don't go full-blown alcoholic, right? But how about a 2020 study from the Pew Research Center that found about 25% of people at least somewhat believed that the pandemic was a planned event? 25%? One in four? All right, we're getting there now. The past two years of COVID have been primed for misinformation a global health crisis, an overhauling of our routines and social norms, anxiety at an all-time high, perfect conditions for people looking to spread conspiracy theories and point fingers, and they have been very successful in these past two years. But what's really interesting is the finer details of disinformation, you know, the more laser-targeted approach of it all. A good example I found while researching was pointed out by Warden Business School professor Eric Clemens, who touched on one of these approaches, in regards to using disinformation to push alternative opinions on climate change. Clemens cited the spread of the conspiracy that climate change is a, quote, Chinese hoax designed to undermine American industries and weaken the U.S. economy. Then you take that message and you target it at blue-collar communities that have seen massive job losses over the decades in industries like coal miners. You take people who can't understand what's happened to the world around them and you give them an enemy to blame. It's a sweet deal, really. Last year, I took some time away from assorted goods. I did a little retooling, and in the process, kind of decided to create a bit of a media brand label for assorted goods and my other projects. I know, I'm selling out, or at least planning to someday, I guess, but after a few different options for a name, I settled on one that was kind of up the alley of what I wanted to aim for, really leaning into the modern age of our standards of information, and thus, the label of disinformed was created. You can hear it at the end of the show. It's the email. It's the Twitter handle. It's all that good stuff. But the point for me was that I kind of wanted to play the angle that good information is harder to come by these days, and we're all feeling a little disinformed. You see where I'm coming from. Probably far less clever than I think it is, but anyways, I'm just fascinated by the way that information gets used these days, and the way it gets bent and twisted in order to further one agenda or another, or more often simply to just muddy the waters of public opinion. We live in an age of misinformation and disinformation. And yes, there is a difference in those definitions between those two words. Misinformation is incorrect on its own, while disinformation has more of an ill intent behind it, somebody trying to mislead somebody else. Difference is basically whether the falsehood has some jackass behind it, which it usually does. The problem we're all facing these days, though, is that misinformation or disinformation are absolutely effective at what they do. Get this. A 2019 poll found that here in Canada, 90% of Canadians have fallen for fake news at one point or another. And honestly, I don't know how that 10% would have ever gotten away with not being duped. But for one, that study was done before COVID. And also, Canada has been a bit more reasonable in the fake news department than other nations have been at times. Looking at you here, America. But there's a number of reasons why disinformation is so effective. None of these reasons are solely responsible. There's no easy answer to this. Bad information, or as it's affectionately referred to now as fake news, it's effective because it's designed to be effective. It's designed to provide an outlet for people's anger or to harness their confusion. It's often used to create scapegoats, someone to blame for X, Y, and Z, which has been really effective during COVID, as we mentioned before. But it usually targets populations experiencing hardships and harnessing their anxieties to push a political agenda or divert attention away from another issue. For the most part, we know that this is the reality we have now, with this information running rampant and conspiracy theories aplenty, ranging from small details to 
wildly exaggerated claims that if they were true, they would shake the foundations of human society. No, they come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? So how do we navigate this world of disinformation? How do we combat conspiracy theories? There's all sorts of different schools of thought and different approaches that people think we can take. But a few years back, one guy had a bit of a different idea. This didn't start with me. This started in 1976 um, when whispering started coming about from the White House saying that birds were in the process of being murdered on a mass level. In 2017, a guy named Peter McIndoe was a student at the University of Arkansas. Pretty typical Gen Zer, growing up on the internet and YouTube documentaries, McIndoe was raised in a deeply conservative religious community and experienced a special brand of conspiratorial thinking growing up. McIndoe was homeschooled, and in the profile written about him in the New York Times last month by Taylor Lorenz, McIndoe claims that he was taught that evolution was a massive brainwashing campaign and that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. You know, pretty standard stuff, really. After Donald Trump's election in 2016, early 2017 saw the nationwide Women's March protests across America and around the world, too, including a march in Memphis, Tennessee, where McIndoe decided to scribble out some words on a poster. Birds aren't real. And then he decided to mingle with some of the counter-protesters. Walking around the protests, he was telling people to wake up to the shocking reality that birds were, in fact, not real creatures anymore. And thus, the movement began. Five years later, and the Birds Aren't Real movement has become larger than McIndoe ever imagined. With 400,000 subscribers on the Birds Aren't Real subreddit, almost another 400,000 followers on Instagram, 80,000 Twitter followers, 14,000 YouTube subscribers, 650,000 followers on TikTok, man has been doing something right. I should take lessons. But the movement has become just that, a movement. With community organizers in cities across America, a wide variety of merchandise you can buy to support the cause and the organization, it's really taken on a life of its own. Now, the conspiracy itself is pretty simple. Apparently, between 1959 and 1971, at the direction of President Dwight Eisenhower and the CIA, 12 billion birds were rounded up and executed and then replaced with government surveillance drones. The official website, birdsaren'treal.com, has a detailed history page, which includes facts like how engineers for Boeing were commissioned to build the planes that would then spray bird poison way up in the air, thus only affecting the avian population, and would cause the creatures to completely decompose within 24 hours, leaving no trace of the operation. Absolutely genius. Operation Water the Country, or as it was also known, Operation Very Large Bird, wiped out about 15% of the bird population at the start, opening the door for hundreds of millions of bird prototypes to be released, as though nothing had ever actually happened. John F. Kennedy's assassination? Well, it's because he wouldn't play along. Even after he was introduced to the prototype turkey X500, a model that would track down and kill the larger bird species, a problem that needed to be solved. Apparently, every president since has been in on the secret, keeping the program going, and the powers that be only allow anti-bird candidates to run for office each and every time. How are you feeling about this so far? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, the story supposedly goes that in the decades since the original operation, it's only continued, and now real birds are a thing of the past, gone completely, and only the drones remain. 
There's also the ideas that birds sit on power lines because it's how they recharge their batteries. The Birds Aren't Real movement also provides their own diagrams of how these bird bots were designed, where their voice speakers go, how their little bird feet are made up of conducting charging coils. For the power lines, of course. Sounds crazy? Of course it's crazy because it's not a real conspiracy. But is it any crazier than the Earth we live on actually being flat or alien species having come and built the pyramids or planes being used to dust our communities with mind-controlling chemicals? And that's the fun thing about Birds Aren't Real. It's an inside joke for its quote-unquote followers. Birthed in the mold of QAnon and modern conspiracy communities online, Birds Aren't Real, as one of the movement's organizers, Claire Cronus in Pittsburgh describes it, is designed to, quote, fight lunacy with lunacy. And this is the approach. The absurdity of the theory is the point, because it matches the absurdity of so many of the modern conspiracy theories that are out there. The Bird Brigade, as its followers are known, are fully aware that birds are, in fact, actually real, but playing along with the bit is part of the fun. Dabbling in a batshit crazy conspiracy theory, but, you know, not actually believing it in reality, it's the best of both worlds. It's like using heroin only on the weekends. Peter McIndoe himself committed to the cause for years, almost never breaking character. That audio clip I played for you a moment ago was actually from an interview he did with WREG Memphis, a local news channel, where the interviewers are baffled at the character he's playing. At one point, one of the anchors actually says to McIndoe, you told me this was just a joke before we went on air. And McAdoo replies by telling her that he finds that offensive and that this is a serious movement. He even deleted the initial posts he made on Facebook in early 2017 about how he created the joke theory and then blamed the posts on a, quote, rebel staffer in the organization who had since been fired. He even bought a white van, covered its sides with the words birds aren't real, and a whole lot of other bits of information like pieces of the theory diagrams of the birds, and drove it around the country to spread the word. He was interviewed for years, and he held the line. According to him, birds were absolutely not real. The government was keeping all this a secret, and Americans needed to wake up to this reality. He only recently began to crack the facade and come back to the nest, so to speak, and be more open about the depth of the movement and its alternate reality. And I have to say, I absolutely love this story. It's why I wanted to talk about it on an episode of the show. It's so ridiculous and over the top. It's right up my alley. It involves satire, especially satire of the communities that I admit I get a little bit of joy out of cracking jokes about. And the fact that it's been working so well for five years is a testament to what a good job Mac and and his team have done. But at the same time, I can't help but wonder if there's a common element or two here, you know? Conspiracy movements especially these days, thanks to the internet, they spread quickly. And those who get involved, get involved on a level that is more than just curiosity. QAnon, for example, has exploded in popularity. And although its movement has waned a little bit since the 2020 presidential election, its roots run deep. And its believers are either still committed to their favorite letter of the alphabet, or, more likely, they're simply primed to find the next movement to belong to. Because that's the appeal of conspiracy communities. And it's something that is in one of my favorite categories, human psychology. But it's that sense of belonging, having people who you can feel understand you and really get what you're saying. It can be incredibly powerful. A 2018 study published in the European Journal of Social Psychology pointed to a few principles of conspiracy theories that are really key. 
Two of them in particular are what hook people in. One, the fact that conspiracy theories are often tied to emotions. Like we touched on before, they stem from something that can be personal, like, why did all the jobs leave my community? Why was my country attacked on September 11th? And so on. And research shows that the thought processes behind conspiratorial thinking are more rooted in the emotional centers of the brain rather than the more rational parts. Second, conspiracy theories are a social exercise for so many people. QAnon thrived because believers stayed in regular contact with each other, shared ideas. But more than that, they got to know each other on a personal level, held regular meetings, asked them how their families were doing, and so on. I've heard numerous times over the past few years that one of the big appeals of the MAGA movement with Donald Trump had sort of a similar philosophy, his rallies being a big part of it, because they were like parties, loud music, people tailgating, eating, drinking, wearing the same clothes, singing and dancing. It was something that they all just wanted to be a part of because it was an enjoyable social experience. The belief in the crazy theories is easy when people have an emotional social appeal that stretches out into the real world, into their real day-to-day lives. And the Birds Aren't Real movement exists as much in the real world as it does online. Billboards have gone up in multiple American cities, organizing groups are in many cities over the country, and protests have happened in the streets even. Its popularity is rooted in the fact that there is a sense of belonging to the movement as well. Unlike regular conspiracy theories, everyone in this one, hopefully, knows it's a joke. But being in on the joke is the social-emotional pull to keep with it. It's funny, and it's fun. In July of last year, McIndoo burned the flag of the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team because of their, quote, pro-bird logo. There's a lot of sports teams that better be on notice then. They've created an amazing stream of content, too. They've hired actors and created videos of supposed former CIA operatives who have knowledge of the conspiracy and are ready to expose the truth. And the brilliance of the movement is that over these past five years, there have been plenty of times that outside viewers and even news networks have fallen for the gag or haven't been able to tell if it's a real thing or not, especially McIndoo. So many times he confuses people who interview him because he really, truly comes across as a true believer until only recently. In fact, the movement has been so successful, especially in the past couple of months, as McIndoo, as I said, has stepped out of his character, that about a week ago, the United States Consumer Product Safety Commission, for some reason, tweeted out that, quote, birds are real. But what else would a government agency say? You know, shh, we know they're in on it. Just covering it up, man. We know the truth. You can't tell us otherwise. Birds Aren't Real has taken aspects of real conspiracy communities and turned it into a successful satire movement, all in the attempt to combat the disinformation that is the foundation of modern conspiracy movements. It's a desperate attempt to try something, anything different, because it seems like there has been no real working approach to combat the widespread distribution of disinformation over the internet. You know, there are no laws governing social media sites. And if we want laws, it gets complicated because of the ideas of things like freedom of speech. And as we just touched on, real conspiracy communities and even more mild disinformation aren't just people carrying around a mistaken idea. It's something much deeper to them than that. What we have now is a social culture where the information you want to believe, you can believe. And that belief then becomes part of your own self-identity. People who think that COVID vaccines are a government conspiracy to control the population, or that the pandemic as a whole is a hoax, oftentimes they hold these beliefs so close to themselves. 
to go back on them now would be an identity crisis. They'd have to admit that they've made a massive mistake. It's like admitting you're an addict. Hello, I'm Dan, and I'm a conspiracy believer. Now, I know, there are obviously more facets to it than just that. Belief in a, quote, deeper truth is also tied to our feelings of certainty and security. The world is a scary place, and when big scary things happen, like a pandemic, for example, it's comforting to think that you know the real truth about what's going on in the world. Fighting disinformation campaigns is not an easy task because it's becoming an ideological battle. Just like nations of the world that deal with extremist religious fundamentalism, it's about what people believe. And it's even harder when there are people behind these disinformation campaigns actively pushing theories and muddying the waters. Birds Aren't Real is attempting to change the narrative in the most Generation Z way possible through screwing around and cracking jokes with the internet. What else are you going to do? But is this something that could really cause positive change? Or is it just a flash in the pan, fun thing that really has no actual effect on changing minds? So we're going to take a break here, hear from some fellow independent podcasts. And when we come back, are there risks to a fake conspiracy movement? What's next for Birds Aren't Real? And why, whether through a satire movement or not, we absolutely need to find better ways to combat disinformation campaigns. So stick around, find your next favorite podcast here at the break, and the Sorted Goods will be right back. Hey everyone, you're invited to Harpy Hour! Hour. I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. We are the Harpies. And Harpy Hour is our new podcast featuring ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Were you ever suspicious that pigeons were secretly spying on you? How do you know who to eat first if you survive a shipwreck? Do problematic musicals send you into an uncontrollable rage? If so, then Harpy Hour might be your new favorite podcast. That's H-A-R-P-Y for Harpy, and new episodes air every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on all social media at Harpy Hour Pod. And check us out on harpyhourpodcast.com. Okay, bye! Ich bin ein Science! Cannabinoids! Genetics! Coronavirus! Dogs! This is Petri Dish. We're a science podcast exploring complex subjects with clarity and evil humor. Join the scientific revolution. Join Petri Dish, dropping every Monday on anchor.fm slash Petri Dish. Welcome back. So we're diving into the satirical conspiracy theory here this episode of Birds Aren't Real. And so far, we've had some fun looking at the movement and its founder, Peter McIndoo. And the jokes keep going. McIndoo was invited to be interviewed on a Chicago area news channel a couple of weeks ago when he took a long drink out of a mug and then began to start coughing up and spitting everything right at the camera, proclaiming that he was so nervous and leaving the anchors obviously a little puzzled. Apparently, the gag, no pun intended, or well, maybe it is, but McIndoo was mocking a news channel as part of the movement's ideas as well, that legitimate news organizations have been complicit in years past in spreading disinformation and conspiracy theories, failing to uphold a sense of journalistic integrity, and oftentimes failing to call things what they are, aiming for more of a both-sides approach as they usually do, even if one side was slowly and obviously detaching itself from reality. And from my point of view, I agree. News organizations over the past couple of decades have completely sold out, 
to the numbers-oriented style that they've needed in order to keep bringing in money. From major news networks to clickbait content websites, all has apparently become fair in love, war, and engagement numbers. And conspiracies are good for content engagement. So is pitting two sides of an argument against each other. You're either pro-blank or you're anti-blank. Damn anti-blanks ruining blank. If only they would shut up about blank and we could all blank back to the blank of blank. Oh, now I've lost my train of thought. McIndoo and the movement have come a long way from what was basically an improvised moment at a rally in 2017 to a nationwide parody of real conspiracy communities. Remember earlier we touched on how birds aren't real held real-life protests? Well, they also showed up at more divisive and contentious political rallies over the past few years. Not to jump on one side or the other, but to just exist there on their own and kind of budge in with their own issue to be furious about, all in an effort to de-escalate what could be a genuinely hostile situation. Fighting lunacy with lunacy is how the movement describes a satire. But really, is it an effective approach? Is a satirical conspiracy movement the kind of thing that can actually save us from a world overrun with disinformation? Or is that where a high-quality independent podcast with a smooth-sounding host comes into play? But actually, satire and comedy has always been a great way to disarm the crazier parts of our societal beliefs. Personally, growing up, and well, even up to right now today, I've learned a ton about the world and what's going on in it from comedians and their news shows. People like John Oliver, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, Trevor Noah, Samantha B, and on and on and on and on. They've been infotainment at its highest form for years. Comedy absolutely has always been a good way to disarm dangerous misinformation because absurdity is a breeding ground for comedy, of course. And misinformation is often just that, absurd. And at the same time, having a laugh is a quick way to neutralize someone's more hostile reactions, assuming, of course, that you're able to make them laugh. One of the many points that need to be addressed in order to find some way to combat the disinformation age we live in is the idea of teaching people media literacy. Disinformation spreads because people fail to identify false information out of first glance. And now, thanks to our social media world, anything that's blatantly false gets shared and spread to family, friends, colleagues, random people you met like one time years ago. Two things are true. One, that fake news spreads much faster and farther than real news does. And two, that if something gets shared from someone you know, you're far more likely to accept it as valid information. Looking at you, Facebook. So again, one piece of the issue stems right from the people reading it. The average person simply isn't good enough at recognizing fake news, recognizing telltale signs of what could be disinformation. And maybe most of all, not allowing themselves to be drawn in by emotional pulls of an inflammatory meme or a blog post about a hot topic issue. We're just really bad at falling for things over and over and over again. Now, a nonprofit organization known as the News Literacy Project highlighted the story about the Birds Aren't Real movement in their December newsletter called The Sift, where the organization focuses on stories and strategies in the realm of news literacy for educators or even just the general public. Now, if that sounds like something you might be interested in, I'll post a link to the newsletter sign up on the socials this week and in the source notes for this episode on disinformed.ca slash assorted goods. I know this episode more than ever, the website name is very applicable. But in their highlighting of birds aren't real, 
the project asks the question that we're asking right now too. Is it okay to spread absolutely untrue information, even if everyone knows that it's all good fun of being part of a joke? The News Literacy Project also points out a term that's been coined in the internet age, that being Poe's Law, which is the idea that unless you outright express that whatever you're about to say or the information you're sharing is a joke or satire, that online it's impossible to distinguish it from being genuine. Now, the origin of the term actually comes from an internet comment on a forum about Christianity in 2005, where a guy named Nathan Poe made a comment and then ended it with a winky face. Classic satire, I'm just messing around sign right there. And a reply to the comment pointed out that without said winky face, that readers may have thought what he was saying was serious. Poe then replied back again that something indicating that what he had said was sarcasm was necessary because a joke comment about the Christian theory of creation in this forum, which is what they were discussing, would be indistinguishable from a genuine comment if he didn't make that distinction. And over a decade and a half later, in a world where so much of our human interaction takes place through screens, and more so through text, it's hard to know when someone is being genuine. It's even harder to pick up the nuances of tone and intent behind what someone is trying to say. Mixed in with how easy it is to pretend to be someone you're not and mislead people with jokes or genuine ill intentions, and Poe's law echoes true more now than ever. When it comes to conspiracies and disinformation, politically divisive content, you name it, in the past five years, there are actors of all varieties in play. People who want to push disinformation, whether to stir things up or to push a money-making scheme of their own, For example, last year, NPR News found that a huge majority of COVID misinformation came from just 12 people, almost all of whom had some sort of financial stake in pushing alternative theories or treatments or just merchandise related to whatever their point on COVID was. Then there were people who just enjoy the chaos or laughing at others. It's the lovely people that we now affectionately know as trolls who just do it for the fun of it. Yeah, that's the mark of a true creative, you know, just for the love of the game. So when it comes to birds aren't real, where does the movement stand? It's a joke, sure, but not everybody knew that over the past five years while McIndoo was playing the character. So are there risks to this sort of thing? In that New York Times profile of Peter McIndoo, Joshua Citarella, an independent researcher who focuses on internet culture, pointed out that this movement, although seemingly working as a force for good, should be wary of potential negative offshoots, such as? Well, one article I came across pointed to the origins of modern Illuminati theories. Now, the actual order of the Illuminati stems back to the late 18th century in Bavaria. It was a group of intellectuals who were opposed to the established power structures of religious institutions in that part of the world at the time. It doesn't really appear again in modern society until the beginning of the 1960s, when it pops up as a piece of a counterculture, sort of satirical look at established faith in a book that was called the Principia Discordia. In the book, there's sort of a satirical faith that people believe in called Discordianism, and it seeks to shake up the established order of things through jokes and disobedience. Author David Bramwell, who studies the origins of the Illuminati conspiracy theory, believes that one of the Principia Discordia's authors, Harry Thornley, actually wanted to bring about chaos to society in the real world at the time by using mass amounts of disinformation, 
all in an effort to muddy the waters and cause disruption to the power structures of media and news outlets at that time, much like the group that they created in Thornley's book, the Principia Discordia. Now, their real-world tactic? Well, it was to spread stories about the Illuminati, the secret group of people running the world. And they did this by writing fake letters to magazines and editorials, pretending to expose secrets of the organization that was working in the shadows. The Illuminati theory began as a satirical movement, and now is a foundational piece of any conspiracy believer. It's like step one. You can't even get into the club without checking that box, it seems like. Now, I myself am not saying that birds aren't real is going to end up that way someday, but it is still worth noting that satirical conspiracy movements over time have the risk of turning real. Could people someday flood your Facebook feeds with the real truth about birds? I certainly hope not, but really I'm kind of beyond surprise these days. Right now, the members of the Bird Brigade are sound in their knowledge that this is all just a joke, and they aren't likely to stray from that anytime soon. Building a community of people all in on a joke like this for a noble cause has its own power, absolutely. As I mentioned before, the movement has shown up at serious protests across the nation. Just last year, the Birds Aren't Real movement showed up at a contentious protest about abortion rights in Texas and employed their, we're not on either side, we're just here about birds technique. As a result, they were able to de-escalate the situation and take over the protest with their own chants about the feathery creatures in the sky. Their chants ended up drowning out the anti-abortion activists at the rally who then soon left and went home. Sounds like another win for the Bird Brigade. Since McIndoo has stepped out of the character he was playing, he's said that he's committed to using the movement he and his people have built to continue to fight against disinformation as a whole. McIndoo wants to work with more independent news outlets and change the way that information is spread. Sounds like my kind of philosophy, to be honest. And he's got a good perspective on it all. Whether you think this is all a good idea or not, young people are more susceptible for falling to misinformation. They often haven't developed a level of critical thinking that is needed to identify and avoid the pitfalls of misinformation. And it's not something that we're teaching in schools yet, at least effectively, either. At the same time, the generations coming up have lived their whole lives through technology online. And since studies show that younger people can get roped into conspiracies and misinformation quicker, it really is important that we start to take some preventative measures. That means making teaching media literacy a priority in our schools, not an afterthought. Educating young people, and let's be honest, older people maybe even need it more, but we need to help them to be able to recognize something that isn't fact-checked or doesn't have supporting evidence from reliable and varied sources. Here on Assorted Goods, I really take the reliability of the information I pass along to you, the listener, seriously. That's why these episodes that I research and write come along with a long list of sources that I whip up. These lists are often 25 or more sources for each episode, and I know, I know that pretty much nobody ever looks at them. But they are still there, and they always will be, because it's important that people be able to see where I got my information from, and if they have an issue, they can reach out to me. Truthfully, and I'm not just selling you a line here, I'm not trying to make a show where I'm pushing a narrative or trying to slant it in a way to change your opinion on something. I really don't try to ever lie on this show, and I don't think I ever have. At least, not intentionally. But the thing is this. We formulated a society that has shorter attention spans, a desire to be entertained and stimulated by 
controversy and emotional appeal. It's a world where people decide who to vote for based on a meme, where manipulating forces look to change minds each and every day. Our data gets collected, sold, profiles are built of us and then used to exploit our own psychology for one group or another's benefit. Our news media has been lost to advertising-obsessed numbers games. There are actual companies out there that traffic in disinformation, whose selling point is that they can sway opinions of everyday people. There's an actual industry of business behind it now. And are we really comfortable with the knowledge that most of the information we take in, which makes up the foundations of our beliefs, and therefore, in a sense, our identities, is being played around with by some jackasses who want to sell you products or vote for their politicians of choice? Am I straying towards a world of conspiracies myself now? Maybe, but that's another issue. There just simply hasn't ever been a time in human history where we have more access to information, and it's amazing. But at the same time, we've never had more access to an absolute avalanche of bullshit. Disinformation and conspiracy theories are rampant. COVID has amplified that. And we're not going to just suddenly come to our senses once this whole thing is over or, you know, someday wake up and be better at what we do and more able to identify when bullshit is around us. So you, me, everyone who can listen needs to add media and news literacy to the list, the long list, of course, of things that we need to take seriously. Because it's been pretty clear over the past decade or so that governments and communities can be shifted with the click of a button, with the sharing of something false. And without having the tools that we need to know when to smell something and then to say something, we're just feeling around in the dark. As for the birds aren't real movement, who knows where this mass following will go next, but it's being led by someone who knows why he's doing what he's doing. But does Peter McIndoe have a firm grip on the reins of his movement's followers? Again, I really hope so. And I can't make that judgment. But I hope that this next generation, although impressionable, is able to start seeing through the deceit. Because a lot may end up depending on them being able to do just that. All right, that's it for this episode of Assorted Goods. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope you got something of value out of it. If you want to follow the show on the socials, you can follow me and Assorted Goods on Twitter and Instagram. The handle is at DisinformedDan. You can visit the website as well, disinformed.ca, where you can reach me through the contact page or email me, dan at disinformed.ca. The website is also where you'll be able to find show notes for this episode and the list of sources used to write it. The music for this episode was created and produced by my talented brother, David Felton. Thank you, brother, as always. My brother, by the way, has an album he just released on Spotify and anywhere you get music. It's called Gradually Actually. Please check it out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Credit for the information used in this episode goes to the journalists, academics, writers, editors, and everyone out there involved in keeping people like me informed so I can provide people like you with a quality show. Thank you again for listening. Take care of each other out there. And I will catch you next time here on Assorted Goods.